Hello, and welcome back to episode 28 of Legend of the Glorio Heroes. This is your premier recap and discussion podcast for the legendary 1988 science fiction OVA. I'm your host, G. You can also call me the champion of the people. And by the people, I mean the collective oligarchy of minor nobles. And with me, as always, on his righteous crusade for revenge against the imperial powers that wronged him, is my co-host, Eero. Uh, yeah, you know, I think the voices will stop uh, once I once I claim the emperor's head. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, as, as famously quoted by Yang Wenli, the voices will stop once I have taken Reinhardt's head. <laughs> uh, for those of you who didn't pick up on that... Uh, both Eero and I have been playing a lot of Fire Emblem Three Houses lately, and uh, don't worry, we're not going to have a game to be playing like while watching Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Yes, yes, so I cannot help but see parallels to Galactic Heroes everywhere, everywhere. now. Yes, everywhere. We have become those people. We have become those people. Yeah, who uh, over, are like, uh... wow, this situation reminds me of that time when Reinhardt said the thing. <laughs> uh... well, uh, you, know, you know, yeah, we've just, had it on the brain for a while. Yeah, you know, I, we don't want to. I don't want to say that the game. You know, don't worry, we're not going to talk too much about the game. We know y'all are here for our hot takes on Legend of Galactic Heroes and not other boring stuff. But you know, we'll just say that you know maybe while this new Fire Emblem doesn't quite match up to uh, Galactic Heroes writing pedigree, that there are some uh, fun, if purely coincidental, parallels between uh, mm-hmm. our enjoyment of Galactic Heroes and the new Fire Emblem. We talk about Fire Emblem in more depth on the the normal podcast uh, the glorio chat yes i you know i will say though here i gotta ask because i was i was thinking about this as i was uh you know mouthing off this bit but like i think we have pretty good parallels for like some of the characters right mm-hmm. like claude the leader of the golden deer we initially joked and said he was basically hot rubinsky but like <laughs> he's actually more like young but happens to have some shades of that rubinsky pragmatism hmm and then, like, we look at Edelgard. Edelgard is obviously Reinhard. I mean, she's even got her own Oberstein. Yes. Um, but the more I thought about it, I was like, actually, who's Dimitri? I don't like, know. The, if the he leader has... of the Blue Lions. I feel like we've joked about, like, the parallels between the other two house leaders and their Galactic Heroes counterpart. But I, I feel like Dimitri actually, I'm not sure if he has a, a, a yeah. Galactic Heroes counterpart. Not really. Um... Like,. Is there anybody in Galactic, like, the, for those listening, like, maybe we're just kind of, you know, there's so many characters in the show, so maybe we're just missing, but, like, is there a character in Galactic Heroes who, like, is fundamentally, like, or he puts on the airs of being fundamentally righteous and, like, just, but is actually, like, barely concealing, like, this thinly veiled bloodlust inside of him hmm. that is just, like, begging to break out at any uh, given moment? Louis Mashengo. <laughs> yes yes it turns out that Mashengo's cool calm demeanor is just a is just a front for the violence he truly wishes to inflict on those who have wronged him in the fpa Indeed. i mean it takes a i mean you know i, I could i could see colin fucking lewis Mashengo the boar of Iserlone after he fucking <laughs> ripped that stone pillar out with his bare hands and and crushed it down the hallway. Yes, yes, yes. Hurled it down a hallway. Yeah, which, I think I think that's a gambit in uh, Fire Emblem. Yeah, those feats of strength are quite similar to some we have seen from Dimitri. So perhaps perhaps that tracks. But uh, we can't keep this bit going. We got a we got a big podcast to get through. But before we do that, uh, Eero has helpfully reminded me <laughs> and is helpfully reminding you guys that uh, 
today or well whatever by the time this goes out within the last podcast between uh the last podcast and this podcast yes it will have been one full year since iro and i embarked on this journey amongst the sea of stars yeah Um, a mere fraction of uh well ali heinison uh the, the length of his journey yes indeed on the other hand our journey uh, we got roughly, uh, based on my calculations here, anywhere from four to six times the amount of time uh, <laughs> that Yang hoped to get after the Battle of Vermilion to recoup his losses. Ah. But, uh, you know, but yes, it's been a year, a year of watching this show. I feel like it's been a constant not... in the back of our minds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This show has just, you know, back when we first had the idea of like starting this, when Iro and I, I we didn't record a podcast for this, unfortunately, but when we watched uh, My Conquest is the Sea of Stars, you know, the first Legend of Galactic Heroes movie, you know, a year ago, and we were like, you know, this was like right after we had finished uh, DNT, and you know, it was just kind of weighing on our minds, like, is is it is now the time? Like, is you know, the political landscape and the anime zeitgeist, <laughs> like, was now the time to, to, for, to, to share with the world, you know, some important and clearly uh, never-before-discussed <laughs> takes on this uh, venerated piece of science fiction anime. You know, of course, like, three podcasts in, I found out that there's another, there was another, like, long-running Legend of Lecture Watch podcast of course, going of course. on at the same time with, like, substantially more... Uh, internet famous people yeah but you know i, I think but they're not as cool I, as us I, th- I think it's no coincidence that uh high dive started uh pushing legend of galactic heroes <laughs> so hard right around when we started podcasting i don't think that's a coincidence uh, yeah, not I, think at all. That, uh, I think that uh our uh you know our contribution to the zeitgeist was the is the linchpin holding it all together you you could say that legend of the glory of heroes is the linchpin of the entire Indeed. Western Legend of the Galactic Heroes discourse. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, we're, we're like Ezerlone. Exactly, exactly. We're like Ezerlone. We're just one spot in 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 the galaxy, but we represent so many things, both material and symbolic. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if right, only we, we, <laughs> we might have some money. Yeah, yeah. If indeed, indeed. If only you know. Look, we're still waiting on that check from High Dive, but one of these days. Uh, in all seriousness, it's it's been a hell of a ride, and uh, you know, thank you to everybody who stuck with us all this way. And I hope you'll, I hope you'll keep, I hope you'll uh, you'll stay with us all the way to uh, what is rapidly looking to be the bitter end. <laughs> um, we should just get into the next uh, yeah, three episodes. Uh, we we're covering episode seventy nine, eighty, and eighty one. Uh, all. All titled The Battle of the Corridor. It's all fighting this week, y'all. Like, we talk about, like, how we, you know, we love the fights, we love the talking, but we really love the fights. I think this interesting trio of episodes does a great job of reminding you that, like, fights are great, but fights are also great in moderation. You want a whole three, three full episodes, almost an hour of screen time of just nothing but space battle. Yeah. Like this show's got you covered. And, uh, man, let's just say that, uh, uh, Yang was channeling the big mood uh, of, uh, (laughs) of our feelings about these three episodes by the end of them. Cause wow. Uh, what a, what a, what a, you know, what a, what, what a sequence of events. Uh, we should just get right into it. So, um, 
We start yeah. with episode 79. So 79, Battle of the Corridor, part one, the Incible <laughs> yes. and the Undefeated. Yes. Uh, so uh, we, we, we cut to uh, our friend Bittenfield, who has just received the message <laughs> yes. from Userload. And Bittenfield is ah. pissed. He is mad. And that is because the message he gets is a letter from Murkatz uh, telling him that he should betray Reinhard. And, uh, you know, it's we get, we kind of get an interesting bit here because, like, you know, we have characterized Bittenfield as kind of a dumbass, and this series of episodes continues to prove that Bittenfield is a dumbass, but he's also a dumbass who is, like, self-aware, like, he knows he's an idiot, and, like, does not let himself fall into, like, some of the classic tricks of your, like, mil- like your, your military, like, gung-ho dumbass in other mm-hmm. fiction. Yeah. He uh there's a several times across these episodes where like he sees uh he sees what they're trying to do and you know, makes a uh somewhat more rational choice than perhaps his reputation would speak to. Yeah, yeah, like Benfield kind of again, he exhibits some like surprising self awareness on his own part where he's like, Oh, this plan is probably meant to capitalize on like who I am as a person. Like they know my reputation. I know I'm an idiot who like charges headfirst into everything. Like they're trying to take advantage of that. And as much as I hate it, I need to, er, I need to, I need to think about this in a way I don't normally do. Yes. And it's like, you know, that is, you know, as much, as much, as much as, as much lighthearted shit as we give Bittenfield. I, 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 uh, I can't appreciate like, you know, as as fun as it is to watch Yang just clown on Empire Admirals, sometimes it is it, it is more satisfying when uh, his opponent is uh, is at least putting up their best effort. Yeah, and so uh, this uh, plan is basically meant to psych out Fahrenheit and uh, Wittenfeld. Yes, yes, this to is to make, make them think ah they're they'll they'll come out and try to trick us into attacking, so we we should not attack. Yes, yes, and. This is a little bit similar to the tricks Yang played on Lutz uh, when he took Ezerlone. A kind of similar... Was it Lutz or was it Wall? Uh, no, no. Wallen got his hand cut off. It was Lutz. Um, <laughs> where, where again, the trick to play on Lutz was... Or Lutz only saw as far... Like, I mean, again, like Bittenfield here, only sees as far as, oh, what is this trick's intent? Whereas what Yang is actually pulling is... What will they think what of will they this? Think vi- is my trinks a tet? Yes, yes, yes. What will they think of my highly obvious trick? And will they do the thing I hope they'll do because they know of my reputation? And so, yeah, Binfield and Fahrenheit uh, kind of. The point is, they arrive at the conclusion. <laughs> it's funny they're they're discussing like what's Young's plan, and like Binfield and Fahrenheit basically arrive at the conclusion that well, regardless of Young's intent, we know this dude is about to pull some shit on us. <laughs> So we need to stop it and wait and uh, yes. So uh, make sure we don't do anything rash. Right, but turns out this is exactly what Yang wants uh-huh. because uh, Mecklinger, uh, Mecklinger's fleet atta- approaches Isalone from the other side as planned, and uh, before he can like right. get close to Isalone, he gets uh, rebuffed by uh, by an FPA fleet over and, twenty thousand uh, ships of over twenty thousand ships and. We know that this is Yang's entire fleet. That Yang right. has nothing left in the can. This is all he has. But Mecklinger comes to the conclusion that oh, if, if they like, can if they can field this many ships on their back end only, 
Yeah. They must have way more ships than we originally anticipated. Yeah, Mechlinger comes to the conclusion that, oh, like, Yang wouldn't be foolish enough to leave Ezerlone unguarded. <laughs> like, this must be just, this this must just be the rear guard. And if his rear guard is this strong, like, we, we have a bigger fight ahead to, of us make than sure, I thought. We have to and, make sure to defend, uh... Odin. Empire territory. Yes, yes. Mechlinger comes to the conclusion that if his fleet is that large, then the pr- actual prospect of Yang busting through Mechlinger to go straight to Odin is actually fairly reasonable. And so Mechlinger backs off, which, again, these are like, again, like we know that Mechlinger is getting taken for a ride here, but these are like reasonable conclusions for these admirals to come to, right? Like, you, you, you want to make people who are not in contact both make totally reasonable decisions that are nevertheless in conflict with each other. Exactly. And so. What Yang manages to do here is push Mecklinger off his back, which uh, makes the defense of Ezerlone uh, a lot easier. Uh, so because of that trick, now Yang, Yang's fleet only has to worry about the fight from one front. Uh, yeah, so uh, with that taken care of, um, um, we, 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 go on, we move on to the next kind of phase of this battle, where... Uh, Bittenfield gets another message, and uh, it's from Murkat saying that he would like to meet with Bittenfield. And, uh, you know, Bittenfield is uh, fairly sure that, once again, this is a trap. He suspects mm-hmm. that what's going to happen here is that Murkat is going to ask to parlay, and then as soon as attacks break down, his fleet's going to come out of hiding and, like, try to, right. you know, sucker punch the Black Lancers. Uh, of course, because Bittenfield knows or thinks this is a trap, <laughs> he decides to attack first. And so he kind of goes right. after um, uh, the fleet, but uh, it turns out that Murkat is not there. This time, the Shiva is being uh, captained by none other than one Dusty Attenborough. <laughs> uh, we, I will say, I maybe gave Dusty a little too much shit earlier because, you know, I was like, what does Dusty even do for no, Yon's this, fleet? Hold on. But, Fisher wait, is, is on the Shiva. Oh, right. Fisher is on the Shiva. My See bad, here, my bad. Uh, but Dusty is but Dusty's the one see, commanding see the here, fleet, though, right? See here, Dusty's flagship is the Massasoit. Ah, okay, okay, Wonder, my bad. Yes, uh, I got it. I got it mixed uh, up. I, know. I believe Murkatz is on the Hyperion now. Yes, you're right. All right, and, I, uh, I, I, Yang, they, Yang is on the Ulysses. Yes, yes. So the, everybody has switched ships, but uh, uh, the point remains: Dusty is the one in command of this battle. And I will say, these next three episodes, I think, do a good job of acquitting Dusty's admiralship. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think that we always are like, what does Dusty even do, right? Like, yes, like Shenkop is your fucking is your hammer, right? You send Shenkop in to just fuck shit up. Murkatz is like a, is like the reliable second in command. You know, uh, uh, New is the logistics guy. Dusty is the trickster, right? You know, Poplin is the ace pilot slash toxin specialist slash uh, <laughs> career counselor. But what does Dusty do? Dusty writes books and talks shit. But we find out that Dusty is a very – here's the thing, right? Like we always say, oh, Yang's the one coming up with these plans. This is all Yang's plans and everybody is just following his orders. But we see here with Dusty in these next three episodes that he actually is a fairly capable commander in his own right. And the dude has quite a few tricks up his own sleeve as well. Like, Right. Throughout, throughout these episodes, I kind of see yeah. that even though – even if it's everyone just following Yang's orders, like those orders wouldn't be possible unless – the people carrying them out were as skilled as they are. Yes. And so we kind of see that with Dusty here. Like, Dusty proves to be the master of the feigned retreat tactic, <laughs> which he puts <laughs> right. into use many times in this next it's, it's three episodes. <laughs> the Joestar family secret technique. Uh, uh, run away. 
but yeah, so uh, Binfield attacks, uh, pushes right into Dusty's fleet. So Dusty uh, pretends to pretends to flee, but uh, Binfield realizes this is a trap, and so he also pulls back, which uh, you know pisses off Dusty a bit because Dusty's like, "Oh great, I'm got to put my ass out there again." So he pushes in a little bit further. Uh, this mm-hmm. time, Binfield takes the bait. Uh, however, Binfield knows this is bait. So what yes. he does is he pretends to retreat, but then actually like switches the afterburners into like full gear, and cuts uh, is harder than they thought. Than, than Dusty is prepared for. However, what <laughs> this does because but Binfield pushes so hard into Dusty's formation, which admittedly is not good for Dusty. Right. It means uh, Fahrenheit also, has to come in too, to yes, help out. Fahrenheit Binfield. gets dragged into the fight. Because uh, original uh, and the thing that happens here is because we're fighting at the Iserlone Corridor, where, as we see multiple times in this episode, the corridor is a real thing. You do not want to be caught outside right. the Iserlone Corridor, because uh, we see that ships that get caught outside the corridor just basically instantly explode. Right. I think, <laughs> I mean, obviously it's hard to, harder to do this uh, in an older show. I think DNT kind of did a better job of showing exactly why, because... It is in the middle of like a nebula or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, it, it does it with a more it does it with in a more visually flashy way. But yeah, I think at the core of it, the point you're supposed to get is that like it's even in much, space, it's too much space stuff. Yeah, that even in space, or at least even in the Legend of the Galactic Heroes version of space, uh, space still has a very real terrain to its own. And uh, because Fahrenheit gets dragged into this battle, the thing is that they're fighting in the Israelite Corridor, and before, Binfield could slug it out with Dusty one-on-one. There was enough room. But once Fahrenheit gets dragged in, all of a sudden, now neither of the Empire fleets have enough room to maneuver in the Israelite Corridor. Right. Kind of caught in the bottleneck. Yes, and, uh, and because of this, Binfield realizes that, actually, now he needs to push even harder. Because he needs to push even harder into Dusty's formation to create some room for himself. And uh, this is when uh, Yang's fleet springs their uh, their concave formation. Yes. Uh, which uh, basically... Charging into the crossfire yes, of uh, yes, entire yes, Yang's they, fleet. Yes. And because of that, they basically do a very effective kind of half-encirclement uh, formation on uh, Bittenfield and Fahrenheit's fleet. A lot of half encirclements in these few Yes, a lot of half encirclements. Yes, yes. I mean, Just when you're in a choke point, like. Yes, yes. I mean, I won't get into it too much because there's no point in me listing every historical every historical occurrence of an effective half encirclement maneuver <laughs> being used. But let me just say, believe me, half encirclements are, if utilized correctly and if coordinated well, very powerful formation, very destructive formation if utilized correctly. And here it is because uh, this has this uh, formation really starts fucking up uh, the Empire fleets and has the uh, the double on effect of creating some uh, kind of emotional discord between Bittenfield and Fahrenheit, where the yes. two are kind of blaming each other for kind of uh, cocking up the whole maneuver because now they're yeah. both like you know they're basically elbowing into each other in the same narrow alleyway. And, uh, you know, so you have people like you have their adjutants and stuff saying, like, we should just retreat and leave the Fahrenheit slash Binfield fleet to uh, deal with this problem. And, uh, yeah, it kind of it kind of goes it kind of goes back and forth until finally, um, I think Fahrenheit's fleet pulls back. Uh, They realize that, uh, like, they're all going to get destroyed at this rate. Uh, Meanwhile, Binfield, uh. Binfield decides to go for, as he phrases it, a force frontal penetration. Uh-huh. Uh, just 
doing what Binfield does best, which is literally just punch forward in a straight line as hard as he can. I guess he gets um, within radio contact distance, and he's just, he and Dusty just start shouting like insults at each other. Yes, yes, fucking holy shit, man! Dusty's fucking disc game in this battle. Like I, mm. you know, by any chance you have any of the screen caps of some of the shit Dusty Let's said see here, because. Uh, you'll become space dust in the aftermath of total defeat. Uh, we forgave you out of our out of our mercy, but you but you uh, launched another invasion anyway. Your Kaiser may be handsome, but he's a scoundrel. <laughs> uh, so Bittenfield, like you bastards. Yes, this just makes Dusty. I mean, uh, Binfield even more mad. Um, but uh, despite that, despite Dusty's best efforts to goad Bittenfield into his own self destruction. <laughs> Uh, the Lancer, the Black Lancer is uh, um, quite strong. I mean, he's charging right in. Yeah, but swinging. it really speaks to. I mean, we all see this time and time again that, like, you know, number, it, you know, battles, battles are a numbers game, but they're not always a numbers game. Like, there right. is a reason. I do like Bittenfield saying, uh, like, we outnumber them. If each ship takes out one ship, we'll be caught out on top. Yes, yes, Bittenfield just. Bad. Fucking Binfield's math is uh, it's some real it's some real fucking Lipstadt League math. Um, but uh, the thing I was actually going to say is that like we will see time and time again in these few episodes that uh, there is a reason why elite like elite troops are glorified in history. You know your your mm-hmm. winged hussars. You know your your uh, you know your your French cavalry. You know your cataphracts, you know, your Russian legionnaires, I mean, not Russian, Roman legionnaires, um, um, you know, and, and, and with, uh, Benfield, the black Lancers, because we will see time and time again, that like the thing that maybe like Benfield is a very straightforward man. And you could argue that like, why hasn't this man been destroyed yet? And the reason is, I think we find out in these episodes is that he's tough enough. His troops are tough enough. His fleet, he has trained his fleet to be tough enough that charging forward is the only strategy they need. <laughs> and guess what? It's pretty damn effective. Like, you know, the thing that usually brings down a fleet, uh, uh, you know, an army, you know, uh, when all other factors are equal, when it's equal train, you know, or equal numbers and equal equipment, the thing that eventually change, you know, the thing that really decides then is morale. You know, yeah. which fleet can keep fighting at full capacity, you know, and we're not even just talking about like, you know, old time war where it's like, oh, like how can you swing a sword? Can you swing a sword for an hour straight? Can you stab a spear for an hour straight and stay at high morale? You know, even in fleet battles, this can be, you know, in this battle, can you can you maintain target lock on the enemy fleet like nine, you know, 10 <laughs> out of 10 times, you know, can you make sure that your lasers are hitting the targets 10 out of 10 times after an hour, after two hours, after three hours, after your losses start to mount up, after you've taken 10% casualties, 20% casualties, can you still maintain like top fighting condition? And the answer is even in Yang's fleet, that's not the case. Like yeah. they are just not that well drilled, but Bittenfield's fleet, they are that hardcore. <laughs> and uh, we find that time and time again, even in the face of what are overwhelming casualties, <laughs> Bentfield does not waver. But um, charges straight in. Yes. But eventually... Even, even when he retreats to like, uh, and Fahrenheit rotates in, like once yes. Fahrenheit starts getting shot up, he's just like, ah, let's charge in again. 
Right, right. Like, that's the thing. Like, so what happened, as Eero said, Binfield eventually realizes, okay, I'm taking maybe a little too too many bloody noses here in this fight. I better back off. And mm-hmm. uh, kind of revolves with Fahrenheit, whose fleet is still relatively fresh. But then um, what happens here is that, uh, so yeah, so Fahrenheit uh, kind of pushes in and Fahrenheit starts to get encircled uh, once mm-hmm. again. You know, we, we know a lot about Binfield's tactical acumen. Unfortunately, we don't really know as much about Fahrenheit's specialty. And we're kind of finding out here that like for better or worse, maybe Fahrenheit was like a good admiral, but he's not a, he's not a legendary admiral, so mm-hmm. to speak, because he gets encircled, um, uh, forcing Binfield to push back in, you know, despite the heavy casualties, he goes back in to try and save Fahrenheit. Um, yeah. Uh, what happens next is kind of uh, Murkat's uh, fleet gets in. Yes, yes, Murkat's fleet joins the fight. Sort of his uh, apparently his his uh, strategy of choice is getting close and launch the fighters. Yes, yes, Murkat's kind of goes in for kind of the classic battleship strategy of like getting close and you know, like unload the payload, which in this case are the like small fleet, you know, the small attack fighters, you know, Poplin mm-hmm. and Karen and such. We see them kind yes. of getting ready, get some um, fun like shot composition echoing of Julian's first uh, sortie yeah, in no, a fighter pretty, yeah. with uh, with Karen. Yeah, yeah. We see Karen kind of going through the same kind of first battle jitters that uh, Julian had in his first battle. Uh, uh-huh. She manages to down a ship, though, so, you know, good right. on her. Like, it looks like a pretty big ship, too, not like just a little fighter. She looks like she takes out a... A destroyer or yeah. a cruiser or look how Poplin tells her if you can if you can do about uh sixty two point four percent of what I taught you, you'll make it out just fine. Yeah, yes, yes. Poplin continues to be uh uh just a, uh, an omnidisciplinary man, just a great advice, good squad leader, uh great at naming squad, uh na- great at naming his fighter squads. Um I didn't catch which one of uh Drygin, Liquor, Sherry, and Absinthe is Karen, though. Yes, I uh, will have to double check that, you know. <clears throat> I will say it's a little it's a little bittersweet because this is the first time Poplin has a uh, kind of this this is actually maybe the first time Poplin has like listed off the fighter squads ever since the uh right the fateful battle in which uh Applejack and uh Konev were lost so you know which is weird it's wild to think it's been that long but like it really has <laughs> He's been and, busy uh, uh, infiltrating her cult and Yeah uh, it's just weird like Poplin his reasons Yeah like, it's just like Poplin the guy we assumed was just going to be the fighter pilot has done so much on since the ground. Then. Yeah, <laughs> like it was almost weird to see him like be an ace fighter pilot again. But but yes. uh, yeah, uh, so they kind of st- go in. And, yeah, uh, and and Fahrenheit is like, I know this strategy. It's Mercats, right? Because we it's find out like we, flashbacks. We are, yes, we are reminded that Mercats and Fahrenheit spoke to each other in like. The first, first episode, episode of this entire <laughs> show. Two, two, two of them are two of the five admirals who came to admonish Reinhard for yeah, his uh, yeah. strategy. And so we kind of remember, right, these two were like colleagues, a mentor to, uh, men, you know, Marquez was a mentor to Fahrenheit. And like, it's a little sad, but like here the the mask, the teacher must destroy the student. <laughs> and uh, yes. we Final find out that Fahrenheit's ship has a sick wave motion gun on it. Yeah, which well, they didn't show this before, but... uh. I don't know why they don't bust this out every fight, but uh, yeah, Fahrenheit's flagship just has a fucking Yamato-style wave motion gun, just uh, blasts the fuck out of the middle of Yang's fleet, but uh, as Trying a result, escape. yeah, he basically created an opening for Binfield to escape through, but because of that action, he basically paints a target on himself, and uh, Murkatz's fleet kind of descends on that flagship, 
and uh, uh, cripples it. Uh-huh. And uh, Fahrenheit uh, is mortally wounded in yes. the attack. <laughs> we um, get some uh, primo imperial uh, drama here. The most fucking melodrama. Like, yes, yes. Uh, it would not be the Empire if they were not fucking melodramatic to the bitter end. Yes. Uh, Fahrenheit is mortally wounded. There is no chance for his escape. He, uh, uh, one of his, his like uh, before his eyes about how uh, he joined the military just to be able to eat. Yeah, but yeah, uh, like, because he was able to serve the incomparable Kaiser, he had a fortunate life. Yes, yes, and uh, he thinks uh, as he thinks about this, uh, some yeah, like young I... adjutant kind of runs up to him and is like, "Fahrenheit, you know, commander, we got to get you out of here." And Fahrenheit's like, "No, it's too late for me. I can't. I refuse to take a child's life when I die." Yes, and, and this kid is like, "Well, then, at least give me a gift that I may present to the Kaiser as a sh- dis- as a display of your life and loyalty." And Fahrenheit, oh Fahrenheit, like I we didn't re- I didn't we didn't really know Fahrenheit that well, but like oh my god, Fahrenheit, living up to the Empire tradition of being the most dramatic motherfuckers in the universe, is like, your life is my keepsake. Make sure you give it to the Kaiser. And it's just like, oh, uh, my, oh, Fahrenheit. Like, we, we hardly knew you. Explodes. And, uh, yes, explodes. And, uh, we, yeah, we wrap up uh, yes, episode 79. Uh, and with... uh, we will state that uh, Binfield, because of that opening Fahrenheit traded, uh, Binfield and the Black Lancers uh, are allowed to escape. Indeed. Uh, and and uh, uh, yeah. uh, that leads straight into episode 80, Battle uh, Quarter Part 2, Kaleidoscope. This shit just doesn't let up. It does not let up. Indeed. Uh, Yeah, and, uh, you know, Reinhard gets a message about how uh, the battle has begun. Yes. In Fahrenheit, we're already in combat. Yes, and that Fahrenheit's Uh, life has been lost. Um, The look of incredulity on Reinhard's face in this uh, this scene here is so good. Like, he is, like, he is just completely blindsided. Like, it, like, I guess Reinhardt is just so used to, like, complete 100% unwavering loyalty from his, like, subordinates right. that every time it doesn't go as planned, like, this and Lutz, like, every time people don't or- obey his orders to the letter, he is just, like, so surprised. He is so fucking, like, incensed at the concept. He's yeah. so angry. He starts out being super mad about, like, how dare they try and undermine my glory? Yes. Uh, and yes. then before he calms down a little, he's like, no, I guess Yang Wenli probably tricked them somehow. Yeah. Yeah, I do like, yes. I like that right hard, like, he's like, ah, oh, those idiots. And he's like, ah, no, I shouldn't blame my kids. This is Yang's fault. <laughs> it's always Yang's fault. <laughs> it's always Yang's fault somehow. He probably played some dumbass trick that they fell for. And yeah. like, I can't hold, I can't blame them for it because even my best admirals in my fleet regularly, regularly fall for even Yang's bullshit. Have, even I have lost Yang <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Yang returns to Izzerlone as well. Yeah, we get some uh, casualty numbers from the battle. Yes, yes. We find out that uh, Binfield and Fahrenheit both lost uh, anywhere from a third to half of their entire fleet, which, mm-hmm. uh, again, these are pretty major losses. Um, you know, I think uh, in the media, a lot of the time, um, enemy forces like go down to the last man. Yes, yes. You know, like if you play a lot of video games, you play a lot of RTS or or turn-based strategy games like Fire Emblem, you know, the... the, <laughs> the, the enemy, uh, which means you know, kill yeah, all of them. Yes, the objectives usually route the enemy to the last man. When, like, this, this is certainly given a very, like, I think, skewed concept of battle to the mainstream that kind of has this idea of, oh, battles are decided 
Like, battles are not decided until there's nobody left on one side of the battlefield. When, like, this is demonstrably not true, you know? An actual even... battle, once you saw that your side was, like, significantly weaker than the other side, you would probably start to mount a retreat at some point. Yes. Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, that's and, the I thing, mean, right? Less, like, like, obviously, depends on the circumstances. Right. Well, I guess I mean to speak more to, it kind of speaks to the, con- like, the actual, like, frailty of human, like, morale and human, like, human minds in a way Mm -hmm. because uh, generally military like military academics generally have agreed that uh 10 to 20 percent is considered like major casualties in a battle uh so that is 10 to 20 percent of an entire field's forces lost to actual battle is considered a significant loss and i think it's very easy to look at that number and be like that's not that big of a number like if I if, if you start at a hundred and I go down to ninety, like I could still conceivably beat you. It's very easy to think in those terms, but mm. it kind of doesn't take into account like the human psyche, the human experience. You know, when you're on the front lines and out of ten of you, one of you has dropped dead, now two of you have dropped dead, like that that has a very strong psychologic uh psychological like domino effect, you know? Mm-hmm. Because it's very easy, like if out of out of a group of ten it is very easy to start thinking that you might be the next person. And, you know, that is why, like, people break. And this is why, like, often the actual most, like, special thing about, like, you know, I I listed many of those, like, you know, famous elite troops in history. But the actual most famous thing about them, I mean, beyond their, like, you know, their their better armor or their better equipment, the actual thing they they tended to have as an advantage is is, uh, training, morale, drilling, you know? Like... It takes a lot of time and effort to train a dude to, like, look at his buddy die and be like, I'm still fighting. Like, <laughs> I'm going to keep right. going, you know? And that's that's very difficult. That's a very difficult mindset to train. And, like, that is why, like, those, like, that, you know, those mindsets are considered, like, the elite of, of militaries. So, with that context given, up to half your fleet is major. Like, yeah. Like, entire military divisions in history have been dissolved. Like, entirely dissolved because of casualty rates that high. Like, when your casualty rates are that high, sometimes military command will think, you know what, it might not even be worth the money. Worth to keeping like, the squad around. Right, yeah. like, it might be easier to just split them up and just distribute them amongst other, like, to reinforce other squads. Because, like, at that at that point, like, unless... unless and I guess that's the thing we find out here that, like, you know, Binfield is not out of this game yet. Despite losing almost half of his fleet, like, he uh, he is back in the fight. And we find out that is because, like, the Black Lancers, like, even at half strength, are still, like, that integral to to the efforts of this battle. You know, they're just that elite of a unit. And uh, so, yeah, so, so kind of get- uh, the first time uh, uh, High Admiral has died in battle. Yes, yes, that is true. You know, this is a... I'm not going to say rare. In fact, I would I would argue that I'm surprised this has not been more common in Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe some of this is due to Yang's inherently kind of gentle is not the right word, passive. but his more passive type of warfaring. Like, whereas like I think a more pragmatic Yang, frankly, I mean this is not this is not I'm not going to play. Look, I am not going to play armchair general to Yang Wen. <laughs> It could be argued that perhaps Yang's efforts would pay higher dividends if he went for more of a like cut the head of the snake, cut the head off of the snake um, tactic or, or approach to his battling. 
Right. Because as we begin to see time and time again, the thing that Reinhardt actually, like, his actual main strategic advantage in these battles is not just Reinhard von Lohengram, the man himself. It's Reinhard, it's Reinhard von Lohengram and the, like, dozen highly talented admirals he has underneath him. And, like, each one of those is actually a tremendous loss to Reinhard. Because they represent, like, you know, not just leadership, but, like, a reliability of tactical acumen, you know? Like, when you are commanding a mm-hmm. fleet as large as Reinhardt's, you cannot do what Yang does. Like, we, when, we, when we see Reinhardt commanding the fleet versus Yang commanding the fleet in this battle, there is a contrast in the two, right? Like, when Yang commands a fleet, he's like, this wing go here, like, flank from this position, you move in from this angle. He is micromanaging because, like, he has to. Because mm-hmm. his fleet is much smaller. Reinhardt's fleet is so large, he cannot do that. He has to say, uh, Mittermeier, handle that side of the battle, right? right? Like, he can't micromanage that entire flank. He just has to trust Mittermeier enough that he will handle it. Because well, like, uh, there's only 10 number keys to keybind your squads to. Uh... <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's it's like it's like old school StarCraft. He can only highlight up to, like, 15 <laughs> units at once, you know? So, like, he really has to... He really has to rely on those uh, those macros, but um, but yeah. So he finally. So, anyways, the whole reason for this tangent is Benfield reports his loss to Reinhard. He apologizes for once again fucking things up for Reinhard, and in the most Benfield move uh, imaginable, uh, Benfield continues to fail upwards. Yes, from, as, uh, as Dusty said. As yes. Dusty said, the miraculous admiral who. Whose rank keeps rising, even though he keeps failing. Yes, because all Reinhardt can really say to Binfield is, "I guess that's just like you, Binfield." <laughs> that's so Binfield. Uh, that's Watch so Binfield. Com- yes, coming coming to the Disney Kids Channel near you, uh, <laughs> airing at two p.m. Central, three p.m. Eastern, is uh, that's so Binfield. Oh God, uh, I would watch. I would watch that sitcom in an instant. Uh, I would watch the episode where uh, Binfield has to uh, get ready for the school bake sale. And mm-hmm. uh, being Binfield... Uh, uh, 600 degrees for 30 minutes is the same as uh, 300 <laughs> degrees for uh, an hour, right? Exactly, exactly. Binfield... <laughs> Binfield, ha- Binfield the storyline would go, Binfield has two hours to get these cookies ready for the school bake sale. It'd be like, two hours?! I could make four batches in 30 minutes if I cook at double the temperature. Uh, and, uh, you know, it would end with Binfield having 10 minutes before the bake sale, like fucking driving a bag his, of chips. Ahoy. Yes. Yes. Fucking, uh, speeding down, the, <laughs> speeding down through the suburbs in his like black, like SUV, uh, his black Lancer, his Koenig's tiger, uh, <laughs> drive Koenig's tiger down to the supermarket to buy like some like Safeway cookies or something. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> anyways, yes, yeah, so Reinhardt's basically like, well, Benfield, at least you're consistent. Uh-huh. And uh, Benfield is not punished for his actions. Yep. Uh, not even like, not even like scolded, not even like put on like reserve. Right. Benfield is still there, front and center of the next formation of the next battle. Right. Reinhardt's like, I will, I require your skills for the upcoming battle. Right. And I mean, it really speaks to like 
you know, Binfield, again, kind of a dumbass, but a very useful dumbass and a very unique dumbass. Like, there is nobody in the army, there's nobody in Reinhardt's fleet that is quite like Binfield. Like, we talk about Mittermeier kind of being like a smarter version of, Bin- of Binfield, but even then, like, Mittermeier, you know, he's the Gale Wolf. He specializes in, like, these rapid Blitzkrieg tactics. You know, Roenthal is kind of this all-round tactician, you know, master tactician, you know. We find, like, you know, Mecklinger, master of logistics or whatever, you know. But, like, there is nobody that is quite... Like, look, subtlety and cunning are all good and well in battle, but uh-huh. sometimes you just need a fucking hammer, and Bidfield is the best hammer there is in the entire goddamn galaxy. <laughs> just, like, opens his coat, and there's just ten hammers hanging. Yes, yes, just, like, sometimes, like, sometimes, you know, like we saw when Bidfield went up against uh, Bucock at uh, Marzadetta, like, sometimes the best, the most well-laid plans just cannot hold up against, you know... Sometimes you just need a motherfucker who will just push past everything, you know, and and that's what Binfield's good for. And so with all that taken care of, um, uh, the Empire is uh, possibly promoted. Yes, 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 that that does happen. Um, Empire uh, prepares for their offensive. Yes, so we find find out that that they've put they've put. Millions of mines, space mines in the, the corridor. Yes, Dusty has laid five million mines at the entrance <laughs> of the Izzerlone Corridor, which is such a gigantic number, I cannot even begin to conceive of it. But also, like, space is big, so... Yes. You know, uh, uh, we have a great discussion between Dusty, or not just Dusty, but the, all of Yang's uh, table. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love... It, it, there's nothing, nothing really important comes from this conversation other than... Uh, Mirai is here, and he keeps a hemming to keep the peace during uh, this discussion. That's his job. Yes. It's why yeah, he decided to become part of this, this crew. Yes, just reminding you that Mirai is here for an important reason. Kind of keep keep discussions on topic, because without without Mirai as the Discord mon- uh, moderator, you just <laughs> know that like the Yang like, Discord channel just like, descends into like meme-posting territory. Like if like mm-hmm. Mirai's not there to keep things on track, like Yang's trying to like talk about bat plans for the next battle, and then like Yang, and then like Dusty and Poplin are like posting like Twitter memes like directly into the chat, yep. and like Shen Cop will like not stop like posting like pictures of like hot like Instagram models, <laughs> and like if it weren't for Mirai like shadow banning them for like five minutes at a time, yeah. like nothing would get done. So thank <laughs> you for your service, Mirai. <laughs> Indeed, but uh. So we get a great plan here where Empire is talking about, well, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to get past this? And Binfield, despite just having lost Ugh. a giant battle, is like, fuck the mines. Why don't we just spread Zephyr particles and charge right in? It's like, Binfield, please, you just, <laughs> your entire fleet was just nearly destroyed. Like, cool it for just a little bit. But uh, you know, Binfield, look, it wouldn't be Binfield if he was not the man he is, right? Like, so, uh, Roenthal, however, comes up with a plan. He's like, I got the plan. I got a plan for taking just on basically, Just basically, Bittenfields, but bigger. Yes and yes. Yes and no, basically, yes. Like, uh, Reinhardt accepts the plan, and, uh, basically, the plan hinges on the fact that, like, no matter how you get around it, Reinhardt's forces are, like, numerically superior by every single metric. Like, they dwarf Yang's fleet. Like, in a straight up 1v1 fight, Yang's fleet would not stand a chance, right? Yang is holding out purely on geographic advantage. And basically, yeah. 
that geographic advantage is only held by the bottleneck that is the Iserlone Corridor. And yes. if we can get enough numbers through the corridor, eventually we will invalidate that geographic advantage. So uh, basically what happens is uh, the, the fight kind of starts, or, or no, wait, before the fight starts, we have uh, a little bit more of Royenthal talking with Mittermeier, you mm-hmm. know, uh, kind of... Roenthal kind of once again talking his bullshit. We get a little bit of Roenthal <laughs> talking about like, hmm, maybe I should commit treason. Which like, Roenthal, you just got pardoned like right. a week ago and you're already back on your bullshit. Yup. Oh, <laughs> yes, Roenthal says that the only tacticians that can beat me are Reinhard, Murkatz, Yu Mittermeier, and Yang Wen Lee. And we should be so thankful that uh, the majority of those on our on our on our on on our side. <laughs> and Mittermeier uh, gets a little angry about the implications of this discussion. I guess he's like, "Don't talk like that, bit uh, uh, Royenthal." And uh, yeah, you're right. Let's just drink instead. Yes, yes. Royenthal's like, "You're right, my friend. Let's just break out the wine. The 460 like vintage is not as good as the 410 vintage, but you know." Mm-hmm. Oh no! Will they do in these t- hard times for the uh-huh. empire? <laughs> and so they uh, send uh, Otto Otto Brauhitz to uh, to sweep up some mines. Yes, Brauhitz like, is tasked with mine sweeping. Well, they make play. a lane. Yes, they use the Zephyr barkles to create uh, a lane through the minefields. Uh, it turns out that Brauhitz is kind of basically just a sacrificial lamb to draw the uh, the Yang fleet's uh, attention, because mm-hmm. the actual play here is that they create. Um, five separate lanes in the minefield with separate particles. And yeah. the reality of this is that now that there are five different potential exit points for the Iserlone corridor, it spreads Yang's fleet thin. They can't police every single right. one. And uh, this and it, is oh, a point. Yeah. And Sorry, it, holds them off, it holds them off while the main empire fleet can come through the uh, big, bigger lane. The brow opened up. Yes, yes. Um, and it kind of just gets into the reality that, like, you know, the Empire just has more material resources. And they can afford to fight a battle of attrition that Yang can't, you know? Like, we could call it simple tactics. We could call them brutal tactics, you know? Like, that, like, Reinhardt is basically just sending men in to die in waves because, like, he can. He has the source, he has the resources, he has the manpower. And Yang does not, you know? And so, like, no matter how many Yang destroys, Reinhardt can just send more in. And like, you know, you could call it a brutal strategy. You could even call it a a, a, a simplistic strategy. But like, I would kind of tend to argue that like, that's kind of a myopic view of warfare. Like, a general uses the resources that are available to them. And like, if a general uses their superior manpower, like, to overcome a weaker enemy, like that is in and of itself a tactical, that that is in and of itself a tactical choice, you know? Yeah. And, and if it works and it gets results, then how simple could it can it really be? You know, uh, mm-hmm. so so yeah. So you know, I, I would use this chance to kind of go into a tangent about Ulysses S. Grant, who is actually or, maybe one of my favorite uh, generals from the Civil War. After tell me Rome, more, Sherman. All right, we'll do this real quick. So r- real quick, real quick. So in the Civil War, kind of early on in the in the war between the Union and and, and the Confederacy, kind of one of the initial like one of the initial like things that the union kind of took for granted was its material uh, superiority you know they kind of the union kind of rested on its laurels early on in the war thinking ah we got this we got more troops we got more guns like how could we possibly lose and 
The problem is that, like, the Union's generals, you know, mainly this is an issue with General McClellan, but this was kind of a, 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 a trend throughout Union generalship early in the war, is that no general was truly willing to commit to a full battle, right? Like, time and time again, Union, like, generals would fight these kind of small skirmish battles, and in those small skirmish battles, the material disadvantage was not as pronounced. So the Confederacy could win these smaller one-on-one fights because the Union was just, they were not willing, they were, squeamish is not the right word. I don't want to call them cowardly because let's be honest, it is difficult to commit lives to a battle knowing that they will likely be lost. But because the Union time and time again refused to truly commit to just a full-on slugfest, they would just get slowly bled out instead. This changes when Ulysses S. Grant becomes the uh, commander-in-chief of the Union forces. And Ulysses S. Grant often gets kind of unfairly painted as a butcher. You know, he is painted as, oh, the brutal general who just relies on wave tactics and superior numbers. You know, oh, Ulysses S. Grant had no strategy. He had no tactics. He just threw his men after men in, you know, into the meat grinder of the, of the Confederate lines. But here's the thing Ulysses S. Grant actually understood is that, yes, this is a very brutal way of fighting war, but also, I lose 100 men, I can have 100 men here tomorrow. The Confederacy loses 100 men, they are not getting them back. Like, I capture, like, you know, I capture uh, 100 Confederate cannons, that's 100 Confederate cannons they are never getting back. They cannot make more. The Confederate captures cannons from me, I can have more made in a week, in a month. Like, I can have troops here, like, by tomorrow. Right. And this is a brutal way of fighting war. Like, like I'm not taken away from that. It, it is a very costly way of fighting war. But arguably, it was the way of fighting war against the Confederacy. Because the Confederacy often held the tactical advantage. And so long as they were fighting the Union on parity, on equal level, they could win tactical, they could win tactical victories. So what Ulysses S. Grant did is basically create a strategic situation that was so overwhelmingly in favor of the Union that it did not matter what the Confederate did, Confederacy did because the Union could absorb those losses and keep on trucking. And again, you could say, what a, like, a dumb tactic, what a, like, a brain-dead like, approach to war. But again, if that is the approach to war that wins you the war, like, then how dumb of a tactic is it really? And that's kind of what Reinhardt is doing here. He he knows he holds a material advantage, and he is taking advantage of it. And you know, like, and, and that's why Yang doesn't begrudge him for it. He's like, this is exactly what I would do if like I had the numerical advantage. You know, like this is yeah. this is war. You know, like lives are going to be lost one way or another. If I can lose a thousand men now to completely overwhelm my opponent, like, and and end this battle quicker, why wouldn't I? And so that's kind of what happens here, and uh, kind of from there, the battle kind of continues in a very kind of interesting direction, a very interesting back and forth between Reinhardt and Yang's fleets, you know? Yeah. We have, like, Mittermeier and Bearlane kind of uh, doing some, like, flanking maneuvers and spear formations on Yang's fleet, and I could go into a whole, we could go into every little detail about this, but I think the thing we really want to get into here is that what starts to happen to Reinhardt's fleet is that because of their sheer size and because of miscommunication issues, uh, Reinhardt's fleet is nowhere near as organized as right. uh, as Yang's fleet. So when Yang needs a fleet somewhere in the battle, that fleet can get there immediately. 
However, for Reinhardt's fleet, because it is so big and is so unwieldy in such a constrained like area, like Mittermeier says, I need people here stat. They don't get their stat. And because they don't get there in time, like right. the formation like, falls apart. Yeah, like he has a specific like way in mind of how how they'll back up when he orders them to back up and they don't do it in that way at all. Because all we got was order to like back up. Yes. You know, like and it's only so much we can get out of that. Yeah, yes, totally. And even in this era where they have instantaneous communication, like, uh, battle maneuvers are very difficult to do. Like, I think the reason, I mean, I think, you know, because of, you know, what happens in the third episode to uh, Mm -hmm. to Edwin Fisher, I think they want to show us this in this battle to kind of foreshadow, like, how important, like, very rapid troop movement is to a battle. And uh, because of this, like, Jan continues to, like, get these like small tactical victories across the battle just by simple, simply uh, outmaneuvering um, Reinhardt's fleet. I uh, do a, like a line from Dusty here where he's like, all right, we'll show them our secret weapon again. And Lau is like, do you mean a single point concentration artillery strike? Dusty says, no, I mean, pretending to run away. <laughs> yes. Dusty, even, even here, even in the face of overwhelming destruction, maybe one of Dusty, maybe Dusty's best talent is, uh, his ability to crack wise under pressure. Um, kind of, we kind of see Dusty continue to acquit himself quite well in this battle. Kind of pull, you know, like we, like I'd actually argue, is Dusty actually the vanguard of Yang's entire fleet? <laughs> because it feels like Dusty, Dusty's fleet is actually taking like the majority of the fire from Reinhardt's fleet time and time again. It might be. And like, Again, like, we talk about, like, Binfield being, like, fucking unbeatable, but, like, you know, props to Dusty for holding up in this battle. Like, it takes, like, he's a goofball, but it takes nerves of steel to, like, watch your fleet get slowly decimated and, like, stay strong, like, to keep your fleet together. And, uh, eventually Mittermeier kind of switches to a new tactic of just kind of rotating his fleet to keep them fresh while kind of slowly wearing down Yang's fleet. Because um, what else can you do? Yeah, <laughs> There's no room. Yeah. And uh, finally, Murkatz kind of has a has a plan, or I guess Murkatz, Young, and Dusty kind of come, or he, Murkatz comes up with a plan, and basically Murkatz, Young, and Dusty extend themselves out to kind of draw in Mittermeier's flank. And then yeah. um, because of that, we have one, uh, I don't know if he's an admiral or a commodore. Com- or commodore Marino. Yes, Commodore Marino, who was hidden uh, behind some admirals, kind of comes out, and, uh, and his sick like hammerhead shark ship. Yes, his very cool hammerhead shark ship uh, comes out and tries to pull a bucot. Tries to rush straight at Reinhardt to uh, take out take out Reinhardt, who's been exposed by uh, Mittermeier's overextension. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Steinmetz's fleet uh, kind of maneuvers in time to kind of take the brunt of the attack, and we kind of come to this sad reality that like no matter how good the plan was, just no matter how like how well pulled off it was. The numbers are just too small. Marino does not have enough numbers to push into Stein, push past Steinmetz. Right. They say in like less than thirty minutes, he loses forty percent of his. Yes. Uh, like a, the squad. same, like the same amount of his fleet that like Bittenfield and Fahrenheit lost in their entire battle, and it's just like it's because like again, like even though like even if you pull off the perfect ambush, if you pull off the perfect ambush armed with like nothing more than a toothpick, like. It's- you right. can only do so much, no matter how well positioned you are, and that's what happens here. Like Steinmetz is able to kind of push it off, but uh, at however, you know, it is uh, they get it, they get his ship. Yes, they, Steinmetz pushes away Marino's fleet, but at the cost of his own life. 
Um, kind you get of, him. He's, he gets crushed by falling debris on the bridge. Yes, crushes his leg. It's a very. I don't mean to joke. It's a kind of a. It's a very goofy looking image. Like it's like this sideways pan from like left to right of like Steinmetz's body being crushed under this piece of debris. Kind of gruesome. It's this very gruesome. Scene. There's a lot of blood, and like we see, like pools of blood start to boil from the heat of the explosion. It's. Yeah. It's gruesome. It's and you know again, but I think it's like again a reminder that like. These men are flesh and blood, no matter how legendary they yep. might be, and, uh, and they die all the same. Steinmetz's death. Uh, Reinhardt immediately appoints Hilda to the uh, position that he was he had taken from her. Yes, yes, <laughs> and and you know, here's an interesting thing. I think we're beginning to see right is, uh, I mean, here's the thing. Hilda's very talented, right? And we're not right. going to deny this. But she, she she chose not to take right. this position for, for entirely valid reasons yes you know because she does not have military experience they specifically state hilda now has the authority equivalent to a vice admiral and like that has implications you know and we are beginning to see like what we suspected is the beginning of reinhardt's brain drain right he mm-hmm. is beginning to lose talented individuals you know with this started with silverbirch now you know uh us uh, now steinmetz and and fahrenheit like these are talented people. These are irreplaceable people. And yeah, I mean, again, Steinmetz's replacement is very competent, but who can say about who Fahrenheit's replacement will be or Silverbirch's replacement? Like, you right. know, we can only assume that these people were picked by Reinhardt in the first place because he thought they were the best people for the job. But if he keeps losing his best men and they are replaced by the second best or the third best, like what effect does that have on the whole of Reinhardt's empire? And because of that, you know, again, like let's not, let's not get it twisted here. Reinhardt didn't have to fight this battle. He really didn't like, yes, you can argue like Mm -hmm. Yang, like Yang's existence at Iserlone will exist as an eternal bastion of democracy and exist in direct opposition to Reinhardt's empire. But otherwise, like Reinhardt had already consolidated the entire galaxy. He didn't actually need to fight this battle. And now he's starting to pay like, the human consequences for it and yep. uh and so uh Reinthal suggests to send in his like personal strike force uh led by uh admiral of Waldhauser yes and, uh, <clears throat> puts forth his plan to like retreat and uh lure young fleet in so they can do full encirclement yes but uh when they retreat the Yang fleet moves in faster than they expected, and they don't have time to get the, the circlement going and start taking the hits. Yes, yes. In fact, Yang, they kind of state here that because of this uh, scenario, Yang almost pulls off a Vermilion and uh, gets within firing range of uh, of Reinhardt's fleet, you know, um, basically going in for the KO. But uh, Reinhardt's fleet, you know, because of its sheer material strength and because it's still fresh compared to Yang's fleet, is kind of able to just, like, concentrate their attacks to the center of Yang's formation, kind of kneecapping its offensive capability. And uh, at the end of the day, they both have to retreat back to their respective sides. But uh, again, kind of kind of what we said earlier, right? Kind of getting to this theme of, like, Reinhardt clearly holds, like, the, the strategic advantage, but because Yang is a more nimble force, like they can take advantage of the gaps in Reinhardt's tactical, like, approach. And uh, the episode kind of ends with Reinhardt, you know... He's like, he's like, yes, this is what I wanted! Right, I wanted, yes. I wanted to have a difficult battle against Young Winley. Yeah, yes, Reinhardt becomes the fucking... I don't care how many people die. 
Yeah, I mean, yes, there's definitely that aspect of Reinhardt here, where, again, Reinhardt sort of becomes the, uh, the final boss of a Platinum game, where he's just like, yes, <laughs> yes, this battle is all I've ever wanted, you know, just, you know, hurt me more, Snake. And, uh, kind of, he, he starts biting his finger, and he's like, yes, I see it now, I see how I will destroy Yang Wenli. And, uh, you know, <laughs> implication being that Reinhardt has perhaps come up with a strategy to, uh, uh, in this battle to, to fight Yang and, Indeed. uh, ends the episode on that note. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, we move into episode 81, Battle of the Quarter, part three, end of the Imperial going. Expedition. I'm so tired, but I'm probably not as tired as Yang Wenli. Uh, <laughs> no. So, uh, um, Right. And so, um, at the start of episode 81, everyone's retreated back to, Young Fleet is retreated back to Ezerlone. It's May the 6th, they say. Yes. So everyone's yeah. exhausted and, uh, sleeps. <laughs> well, they try to anyways. Uh, you know, we see, you know, uh, we see, uh, we, we, we see that everybody basically comes back here to get a little bit of rest and kind of repair and resupply. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, you know, Poplin kind of shows up refreshed, being like, I'm feeling great. And you know, even if I didn't get to sleep with a woman and Dusty's like, well, you know, they don't make double sized caskets. So, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> which is a very Dusty move. Yes. Um, uh, does, is this the part where Dusty says, oh, I should put that in my book? Yes. Or is that later? He's okay. like, oh, that's a good line. I'll write it down. <laughs> oh, Dusty. Um, Yang basically admits to everybody like... We keep fighting on the defensive, they'll wear us down. We have to go on the offensive. We have to break we have to break the back of Reinhardt's army because otherwise Yeah. And uh so he assigns Edwin Fisher to kind of handle um I think he said his his left flank and battlefield maneuvers. Yeah. You know, if we are reminded, uh uh Edwin Fisher is uh uh Edwin Fisher is one of the kind of the three of the B trio of Fisher, uh Popachev and um uh, Murai. Um he was involved in putting down that coup on the way to Iserlone that we <laughs> tragically uh never got to see. And uh, you know, he has a good bit here where he uh, he's uh throwing some shade at Dusty's book. Yeah. Maybe um, maybe I'll also pretend to be smart and write a book. Yes, uh, yes, it's 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 very good. And so uh Young uh, launches a full frontal attack going out to you know, cut off the Kaiser's head. Yes, take uh, the fight to the Kaiser while they can. Um, and no. so, but uh, Mueller, Iron Shield Mueller, and uh, the parts evolve kind of station himself in front of the Kaiser. Yes, you know, yes. but uh, plan the defense. That, uh, yes, Yang says that. However, this time, uh, he has factored in Mueller into the calculations. And that last time, you know, at the Battle of Vermilion, it was only because of Mueller's like very sudden last minute arrival, right? That uh, Reinhardt uh, was saved. Get us a sequence here of Yang like musing to himself about how uh, Mueller and Fahrenheit Steinmetz they, they didn't risk their lives like because they believed in autocracy. They just like truly had loyalty to the person Reinhard von Lohengram. Yes, yes. kind of, kind of Yang. Maybe not the best time for this. Kind of having this very introspective conversation with himself about how like you know even for him right like he like, realizes oh yeah. the people under who are loyal to me are loyal to me they're not loyal to 
democracy. They're not loyal right. to an ideal. P- people follow people. They're not, yeah. not ideals or institutions. Right. Like Young, I mean, Young, you know, Tr- Young being Young, of course, he follows an ideal, and he thinks that other people should follow. I- he, he thinks that the world would be a better place if people fought for ideals instead of uh, people. But you know that maybe this is just human nature. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so basically, the fight kind of continues on. You know, Young. Kind of takes advantage of the the space geography, kind of limiting mm-hmm. Mueller's tactical advantage here. A lot of cool shots of ships firing lasers and stuff. Oh, oh yeah, lots of <laughs> lasers bouncing off, bouncing off the Percival. I mean, yes. that's just that's just an asterisk attached to these episodes that says all the time. Yes, yes, but I will say I'm glad they show that occasionally to give you the explanation for why not every single ship, you know, how come every single ship does not burst into flames the immediate. You know, the second they get hit by a laser is, I guess, they have vague energy shields that right. I assume get depleted after a while or something. Yes. So, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, the bio kind of continues. And then um, uh, because of the kind of constant miscommunication issues that are happening, um, Meyer's like, yeah. uh, Beowulf takes a hit and uh, Reinhardt receives the false, uh, re- receives a miscommunication that Mittermeier has been killed in battle. And we yeah. kind of get a good bit here where Everyone like one on the bridge kind of freaks out. Right. Uh, yes. Like everybody, like 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 Reinhardt was all already like kind of smarting from losing like you know Fahrenheit and Steinmetz, but like you see here with Mittermeier, like oh, this is what happens if you lost somebody like really important, you know? Right. Like even Reinhardt uh, is like, <laughs> yeah, I like, like here how uh, we see Reinhardt look up. We don't see Royenthal's face, but we see Reinhardt look at Royenthal and like immediately go like, "Oh boy," like yeah, kind of back up a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like everybody is like really on edge, and then the phone guy's like, "Uh, wait, no, that was a missed call." Uh, Mittermeier says he's fine, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, but uh, but, uh, uh, but this gives Reinhardt the kick in the ass to uh make a decisive plan. Yes, yes. Uh, Reinhardt decides that uh. Reiner decides that once again he has fallen into Yang's pacing of the battle, where he is trying to outmaneuver uh, Yang, where he's trying to beat Yang in tactics. And Reinhardt once again realizes, wait, I am playing the wrong game. Like, this is Yang's game. I need to play my game, and I need right. to play by my rules, which is, you know, superior numbers, superior firepower, as superior he puts, leadership. Yeah. As he puts it, uh, he, uh, he attempted to go for an elaborate and deliberate execution. But what he should be doing instead is crushing them with sheer power. Yes, yes. So, you know, again, like we said, if it works, it's not an invalid strategy. So Reinhardt basically, and here's the, you could call these wave tactics, but like, you know, even real world wave tactics have a purpose to them. And what we see here is kind of Reinhardt using uh, multiple waves of fresh uh, fleets to kind of wear down Yang's fleet. So he kind of starts off with the first fleet of, uh, is this um, Mueller? Is he, it sends Mueller in first? We also get Hilda trying to talk him out of it again. Right, yes, you're right. Before this all happens, Hilda realizes how bloodthirsty this plan is, kind of tries to beseech to Reinhardt, like, please don't do this. Like, we don't need to kill Yang. Like, the galaxy will be at peace for 100 years, even if you left Yang alone. Mm-hmm. And we have a bit of Reinhardt here, pushing back on this you know he reinhardt says kind of we we get flashes of this every now and then where reinhardt's like you think that just because i let you like talk back to me that you can get away with this all the time but like don't fucking get it twisted i am the kaiser yeah and uh rebuffs hilda's suggestion yeah. here and so um um 
I like it because Reinhardt basically says, Reinhardt's like, Hilda, are you trying to imply that it's my fault that Yang is cornered like this? And Hilda's like, yes, it is literally your fault. That's what I'm saying, yes. Yes, like, it is literally your fault that Yang is in this position. Like, you, you never had to fucking poke the bear's nest. You never had to. You chose this. And uh, Reinhardt's... He's not having it, you know, he's not having it. He will throw millions of lives into this battle to overwhelm Young. So, uh, yep, just begins rotating his fleets in a constant... uh... Yeah, so basically he just keeps, you know, a little bit similar to his deck of cards plan from Vermilion. He's basically using kind of a long, narrow, like, formation of, like, rotating fleets. Tank tread formation. Yes, yes. So kind of Mueller goes in first, you know, kind of gets pushed back. Um, yeah, well, I'd say for a bit, it says here Mueller retreated after 30 hours of battle. So, uh, yeah, uh, uh, when we get to the end, I will point out how many days it's been. <laughs> yes, so Mueller retreats after 30 hours of yeah. fighting with Young. Um, Merkat uh, uh, yeah. suggests that they fall back to Ezerlone to use Thor Hammer, but uh, Young Wenli points out that, uh, right, they because of the formation that Reiner's using, like it's basically tailor-made to uh stop the thor hammer it's like neutralize the thor hammer's usefulness because yes even if they shoot down this one fleet all the other fleets will come in from every other direction and uh, yeah i mean the idea is that the thor hammer is an extremely useful tactical tool but it is not going to be the end-all be-all solution to uh yeah to this battle and that, of course, someone like Reinhard will have already formulated strategies to you know, mm-hmm. deal with it. And, uh, so we, they're kind of forced that, to keep Yeah, we see uh, that fighting. Reinhard is not eating either. Yes, yes. We find out that uh, Reinhard took a bite out of a loaf of bread and he's back into the battle. He's just entirely focused on the fight, you know. And Hilda is rightfully worried about his health, you know. Both, both sentimentally and cynically, you could argue that sentimentally it's because, well, she cares deeply for Reinhard, and Reinhard clearly does not take very good care of himself whenever Young is involved. You know, yeah, definitely. And also cynically, if Reinhard gets incapacitated, like that, <laughs> will have issues. That will cause some issues in this battle. Indeed. Um, maybe a little bit of foreshadowing here. Uh, but yeah, so Mueller retreats. Eisenach comes uh, in. Eisenach moves in. He's the one who's very quiet. He he commands Snaps entirely fingers. through hands, just hand gestures and snaps. Um, <laughs> somehow, I love this one bit here where he like makes like this vague hand motion, and then like his commandant is like, "Do this extremely elaborate like tactical <laughs> maneuver." It's like I could tell because of the way Eisenach moved his fingers, and it's like, oh man. Uh, I, all right, whatever. Eisenach is fucking ridiculous, but he gets results. Continues to wear down Yang's fleet. Yep, he um, he backs off and like Mittermeier's underlings all go in. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because the, 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 they say that Reinhard refused to allow Mittermeier back on the front lines yes. after the close shave. Yes, but he sends in Mittermeier's fleet, which is led by I see here it's Burrow, Berlin, uh, Sinzer, and Droysen, uh mm-hmm. all under a Mitter, all part of Mittermeier's fleet. Um, they kind of point out that like Yang keeps trying to like resupply, back off, and like rethink strategies. But like Reinhardt is just not giving him the time to do it, so uh, they kind of move in. They uh, kind of uh, really bust some shit up. Uh, Yang decides to go for a forward charge here, kind of to uh, uh, kind of push them back, kind of catch because now the thing that's happening, you know, we we keep talking about the pace of battle, right? Like mm-hmm. getting caught up in the pace of somebody's battle, you know, is like the the way to explain that is, that is basically like when two sides are fighting in a battle which side is acting and which side is reacting, 
you know? And depending on how yeah. the battle goes, it is generally preferable to be the side that is acting because the side that is reacting is just inherently going to have less tactical options. So Yang realizes that's what Reinhardt's trying to do to him. He charges forward, yeah. breaks up uh, the Mittermeier fleet led by the, the, the younger, less experienced generals. And uh, yeah, because and the, of uh, that... The next line that was preparing to swap in, which right, was the, the Black Lancers and what remained... Uh, well, what remained of the Black Lancers and Fahrenheit fleet. Uh, right, kind of consolidated into a single force. Uh, they get forestalled, kind of thrown into disarray because of Yang's uh, forward push. He kind of launches a pincer attack on Bittenfield. And we kind of... We are once again kind of tragically reminded of just the sheer physical and material limitations of Yang's fleet. Right. They point like, out that even though the Black Lancers were uh, like totally surrounded and being shot, they were still more powerful. Yes. Morale was higher. They were a fresher fleet. Uh, they kind of point out that like Yang's fleet is tired. Like yeah. Yang is tired. Everybody is tired. They They show multiple shots of like... People not explicitly like messing up at their jobs, but they keep saying like, "No, nah, people are tired. Efficiency is going down. Morale is like falling. Like Yang's yeah. fleet is losing its combat effectiveness over the course of this battle, and because of that, because Yang's fleet just isn't big enough, like they cannot break Bittenfield. And this is kind of what I was alluding to at the very beginning of this podcast. That is like, this is the difference between an elite formation and like, you know, well. A less elite formation, you know? <laughs> like, if this were any other fleet, any other commander, they might have broken, right? Like, it, it could, it, it might not even need to be, like, a bad commander. It, it could have been that, been that this is just because this is who Bittenfield is. Like, if it were Fahrenheit again here, or Steinmetz, or hell, even, like, a Mittermeier, or, like, a, a Lutz, or a Wallen, under this type of pressure, they might have broken, right? Because, like, they might have realized, because... Even though we know that like Yang's fleet is out of steam, they might not know that, right? And so mm-hmm. under that kind of pressure, they might back off. The problem here that we see time and time again is that anytime any time a fleet tries to, tries to fight Bidfield, tries to break Bidfield, they themselves are broken on the rocks that are Bidfield and the Black Lancers. Like, their morale right. is too uh, rock solid. Bittenfield himself is too fucking either stupid or brave or confident to, like, break under pressure. Right. They point out that while they do force the Black Lancers to retreat, uh, the Black Lancers have unwittingly dealt a fatal blow to yes, Yang's fleet. They, they they make Yang's feet, fleet pay in blood yes, in this pincer the, uh, the Shiva, The loss of the Shiva, uh, Admiral Fisher's flagship, is confirmed. Yes, that uh, the Shiva has not returned from the battle. That Edwin Fisher uh, tragically has been lost in this last battle. Yep. Um, and uh, they kind of they kind of point out like how uh, how how traumatic of a loss this is for Yang, both tactically and morale wise. Uh, you know, these are things that I kind of wish they had shown on screen. I wish they had given Edwin Fisher more screen time to better communicate this. I, 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 I still understand the intent of this scene, but I think it is a shame that the narrator has to has to rely on exposition to explain yeah. to us why Edwin Fisher was so important. Like we watch when we watch Fahrenheit or Steinmetz or or even Silverburst, when we see those guys die. The show always spent the time and screen time to adequately communicate to us why those people are important to uh, to Reinhard. Mm-hmm. I th- think I don't want to accuse Legend of Galactic Heroes of having an Empire bias, maybe just an Empire focus in terms of its screen time. 
Yeah. But like, I think that scenes like this suffer because we never get to see like, if we had seen Edwin Fisher like commanding in person time and time again, if Edwin Fisher was like the Mittermeier of the Yang fleet or the Royenthal of the Yang fleet and was portrayed as such, I think this scene would have had more impact. Yeah. But instead, the narrator kind of relies on exposition to explain to us that, like, the hey, reason like, why... remember all that stuff that happened? I, that was def- totally Edwin Fisher. Right. He basically say, explains, that, hey, all those times Yang succeeded? Well, that's because Edwin Fisher was working behind the scenes, and you just didn't see it on screen. And right. it's like, I don't want to call the show lazy. Never in a million years would I ever call this show lazy. I, I would... But I think this is maybe... Like, I can't believe we're saying this. I think this is one of those cases where, like... This show doesn't have enough episodes. It doesn't. <laughs> it, it really doesn't. I, I, I would go as far as say I think this show needs fifty percent more episodes than it has. Oh boy! To adequately cover the scope of what I think this you wanted, story is you wanted to, to cover the show for two years instead of a year and a half. Yeah, you know, I'm not even joking. I would, I would, I would be willing to if it meant that we got episodes devoted to guys like Fisher and Mirai. You know, like, like I think these characters yeah, yeah. are interesting. And I think they deserve episodes. I think they deserve them just as much as Mittermeier or Royenthal or Bittenfield. Yes. Like, I think it is really tragic that we lose a guy like Fisher, a guy that, by all intents and purposes, seems like a cool guy. Like, I remember... Even when we were watching the original DNT, like, <laughs> and they introduced Edwin Fisher, and we were like, "This dude's all right." Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. like they had scenes of Edwin Fisher like commanding fleets, and I was like, "Oh, a smart FPA commander." And and so it's a shame that we don't get to see more of that in in the OVA. But yeah, so they basically the narrator explains that like Edwin Fisher, like his specialty was like tactical maneuvering that like time and time again, we see in this battle multiple times that the reason why Yang's fleet was so mobile, so nimble, was so able to like get into like the cracks of Reinhardt's formation, like so quickly and effectively is because of like just uh, Edwin Fisher's like mastery of, you know, battlefield maneuvering and that by losing you know, Edwin Fisher, that Yang had essentially lost his left leg or something, you know, like that he had lost, you know, a vital part of his tactical capability. And that if, if the empire had known how serious of a blow they had just dealt to Yang, like if they had, if if a fifth wave had shown up, like they say that explicitly Yang's fleet would have broken then and there. Right. They would have had to immediately retreat to Isolan Fortress. Yes, yes, that they would have, this battle would have been lost. But, but, <laughs> that didn't happen because the Empire doesn't know that. They do not know that. And Yang continues, you know, if nothing else, even in his darkest moments, his tactical acumen allows him to, you know, bring, you know, to, to, to keep up the facade of, 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 of battlefield strength. And, yep. uh, and, uh, also the on the Empire side, they're dealing with their own shit. Um, yes, because uh, Reinhardt has passed out from illness. Yes, Reinhardt has fallen ill yet again. Um, you know, uh, and Overworking as a result, himself. yeah, as a result, they have lost their tactical. You know, they have basically lost the head the of their formation, the linchpin of their formation. You know, uh, so a combination mm-hmm. of not knowing how weak Yang is at this moment, combined with losing their commander, has kind of led the uh, Empire leadership into a weird position. We see that Mittermeier, Ruthal, and a uh, Hilda are basically discussing what do we do in this situation. Um, we do not see Reinhardt conscious for the rest of this episode. Right. Reinhardt suggests they withdraw for now uh, yes. and keep 
keep uh, Reinhardt's illness secret. Secret. Yes. The, the, the they do not need to know that Reinhardt has fallen ill. Um, yes. We get some numbers that they lost two million soldiers and about twenty four thousand ships. Yes. And retreat uh, let, let, from the corridor. Yes. Let us point out that uh, Yang's fleet is about twenty thousand ships. Yes. So. You know, like they've but, are like if you count uh, the earlier, but you know, part one of the battle, they've yes. they've destroyed like twice as many ships as they had to yes. start with. Yes, like the total casualties for Reinhardt's fleet is almost forty thousand ships, and I think almost three million men. And again, like let's not get it twisted. This is all on Reinhardt. Like you could say that Yang pushed his hand, you know, forced his hand by capturing Ezer alone and turning it into the bastion of democracy. But like, this is a war of Reinhardt's own choosing. You know, like yeah. he has said time and time again, in as poetic of a manner, like, "Oh, am I a warmonger?" Like, yes, Reinhardt, you are a warmonger. <laughs> like, let's not get it twisted. You, these men are dead because of you. They're dead on your hands. Like, like yes, they they impaled themselves on right on Yang's like lasers, but that's because you forced them to. And, and uh, so we get some time. Uh, Young's ship, uh, as everyone's extremely tired, Frederica's like barely on her feet. Uh, yeah. Get they get a message from uh, Kaiser Reinhardt saying offering offering a ceasefire and peace talks. Yes, the the battle has been called off. You know, it's kind of a a very you know it's 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 not it's not you know in, in many ways you know. I think I think we want to discuss this a little bit more, so I won't get yeah. into it now. But in many ways, on its face, this is a tactical and strategic victory for Yang Wenli. This is what he was hoping to get, right? Yeah. Like Yang never thought he could win this battle, but he was hoping he could make it a tiring enough affair to at least drag Reinhardt to the table. And if nothing else, this could maybe gain some concessions. You know, we kind of see how the people react on multiple sides. You know. Uh, uh, Bitfield is quite pissed off about this, you know, because uh, you know he mm-hmm. thinks that they are on the verge of winning, and we would find out that he is correct. But uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, we get everybody returns to Ezerlone, and basically the second they're no longer in danger of being shot down, just fall asleep where they stand. Everybody collapses. Yang barely makes it to his bed. Everybody else just like straight up just falls asleep on right. the floor. We're told this is like May 18th, so they've been fighting for 10 days straight. Yes, 10 days, likely with little sleep, you know. Maybe at most they got those like super one-hour sleep beds, but even then, like, right. they have been fighting day in and day out constantly. And so like Young, how are you going to respond to to the message? It's just like I can't think right now. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like you know, you see, like basically, the only people left conscious on this whole ship left are Castle New and Shenkong. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like even like Schneider is like, oh, that's so uh, like such a lack of discipline, falling asleep. What if the enemy attacks, gets yes. to an elevator, immediately falls asleep. Right, Murkatz himself says. Dog, I'm going to sleep right now. Like, I don't fucking care. And yes, Snyder himself falls asleep in the elevator. It's it's very it's a very like yeah. good scene, but it's also a very like hard to watch scene. It just it really communicates to you like just the human cost of warfare, not just lives, but like the the emotional and mental toll warfare has on on people. You know, I think I think a lot of media does not really portray exhaustion, war exhaustion in a mm. way. You know, in this kind of way, like. You know, like I think at most in like a lot of fiction, the battle will show like, oh, the the hero is tired, but you know, blah blah blah. But like I think this battle does a really good job of just showing like how tiring war <laughs> is. You know, like right. 
it, it is not a it is not an energetic affair, you know. And uh, indeed, you know, I think with that kind of a you know the episode kind of comes to a close, kind of the last shot on Yang's face. He just looks like mm-hmm. fucking shit. Like <laughs> like yeah, like forget this bed, dude. Forget the super bed. Yang needs a full eight hours of sleep in the super bed. Yeah, like a super bed where you get a full night's sleep in one hour. I think he needs a full eight hours in the super bed because. <laughs> Yeah. He is not looking great. Um, yep. And yeah. uh, that wraps up the uh, episode. Though I do want to talk about uh, the like immediate question on my mind at yeah, the end of this I episode. I, I want to uh, talk about this too, yeah. I've like related to the cease, ceasefire thing. Like we have no way of... Again, I think this will be explained within the first two minutes of the next episode. But like, is. you know... I think the question is there of whether that was actually sent by Reinhardt or not. Um, yeah. You know, no, think- because as far as we know, he's like unconscious. Reinthal, I think it's potentially just a scheme cooked up by Mittermeier, Reinthal, and Hilda to back off, to, yeah. you know, create some space for everyone. Yes. Uh, I, 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 I think that is definitely a worthwhile theory to bring up. Uh, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Uh, you can finish. And alternatively, like, is this perhaps Reinhard being so fed up that he's going to call Yang to peace talks and just get him just when like he's fucking, with his guards down? Yeah, yeah, just like fucking pull a gun out from under the table right. and just pull like Yang. Pull like a blatantly un- dishonorable maneuver. Uh, and... Of the like I, of which he yeah. has announced over the entire show. Yeah, and I think that I think that's really an interesting thing to bring up because again, we only hear of the message. We do not know who sent the message. We don't see Reinhardt conscious. Like it in many ways, this ceasefire is not in character with Reinhardt, right? Like Reinhardt wishes for nothing more than the complete and definitive defeat of right. the like, I League. see no reason like if if we had not gotten stuff of Reinhard uh, falling ill. I see no reason he would not have just put put together a fifth, sixth, seventh battle yes, line. Because Reinhardt has the numbers for it. His he has the fleet strength, and they're not tired. Like we don't see, like we only see the exhausting toll of war on the Empire side in Reinhard because oh, he just works himself too hard. But like everybody else, we, of everybody else we see on the Empire side, it's like they got tired, so they rotated out. Yeah, they look pretty fresh. Like they're looking okay. Like they're they look like they're ready for more. I mean, look at Bittenfield. Bittenfield literally said, like, like Bittenfield's literally like, put me like, in chief, put me, me back in chief. Like they're weak. I can take them right now by myself. You can send me in with the Black Panthers by myself, and I bet I could take them. <laughs> like, and you know what? That's the thing. Bittenfield might Bittenfield might not be wrong. Like. Like Yang's fleet is on the verge of collapse, and I think the only thing stopping that is that they don't know it, you know. Yeah. And you know, they, the the narrator says it literally at the end of this episode: if Reinhardt's fleet attack is alone right now, like yeah, <laughs> it would kill when everyone's and fucking asleep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like so. I think I think it's an interesting theory you brought up that like uh, both both sides of it. Like, did Reinhardt actually send it? And even and even if he did, is he actually sincere about it? And I will push back on the second part. I, I'm willing to believe the Reinhardt uh, message is actually ginned up by Roenthal, Mitterbeier, and Hilda. I'm not sure I believe in the idea of Reinhardt going for this kind of trick, because I think that based on what we know about Reinhardt's personality, like Reinhardt does not care as deeply about setting historical precedents as 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 Young. Right. But we have to look at what are his motivations for fighting Young. So at the core, 
at the core of, of Reinhardt's like mentality about Yang Wenli is that he fears that history will judge him because he could not beat Yang Wenli, right? Yeah. That the Battle of Vermilion does not count as a victory for him. He cannot like, stand to be like to yeah. to he cannot stand the like potential possibility that someone was able to stand against him. Yes. That, that, that in the history of his entire reign, that he was not the complete and total ruler of the galaxy, right? And so he believes that, and, and based on what Reinhardt has rationalized for himself, okay? This is based on what he has said on screen, based on his self-rationalization of his actions. He must defeat Yang in open battle to prove his dominion over the galaxy. Now... And the reason for that, he believes that the more like he believes that the more like logical reason for that is also as long as Yang survives, as long as Yang persists, and as long as Yang remains undefeated, there will always be an undercurrent of dissent against the Empire. Right? According that to he, him, yeah. According to him, he believes that as long as Yang exists and exists undefeated, that there will always be an undercurrent of dissent fermenting in the Empire. That well. Sure, Reinhardt's great and the Empire is great, but he didn't beat Yang. Like, did he right. really beat the FPA? Like, sure, the FPA no longer exists, but did he beat Yang Wenli? Like, who is like the true like Yes. It could be maybe not now, not in the time of now, but like in 20, 30, 40 years, I could totally see people in the Empire be like, you know, especially in the former FPA territories, go like, you know what? Yang Wenli was the true spirit of the FPA. Like Yang Wenli was the was the symbol of the FPA, and symbols are powerful. You know, look at Ali Heinison. Uh-huh. Symbols carry a lot of weight, and because of that mentality, I do not think that Reinhard would go for like a Game of Thrones red wedding style like trick, because a that is not within his personality based on what we have seen. Mm-hmm. B even if it were within his personality, it would set a very bad precedent for his rulership. Yeah, you know? I, agree, like, I agree. Like we discussed this in the last podcast. Like if you become, if you, you know, I think, I think you put it a great way the other day, the, the other day, Eero, like if you kill somebody at lunch, they're not going to meet with you for dinner. Mm-hmm. Like you set a precedent that you are willing to murder people under like what is ostensibly like, uh, peaceful talks, you know, you know, where where two sides have extended goodwill and trust to each other, you will never be trusted ever again. Like like your reputation has a permanent black mark on it. And I think even if Reinhard was tempted to actually like just straight up fucking stab Yang while shaking his hand, I think he would hold off on it because he knows like what that would do to his reputation and to the reputation of the Empire. Now that yeah. said, if next I episode I we think find there, out I think the possibilities there, <laughs> I, I agree. I think the yeah, possibility is there, but I think that unless the next episode reveals that, like fucking Langer Oberstein sent that ceasefire message, right? I I don't think that Reinhardt himself. I don't think Reinhardt himself would engineer a plan like that. What about I, I could totally. Here's the thing with Roenthal. Roenthal is a sneak, but he's not that kind of sneak. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah. I think, I think Roenthal and like, I think it's very easy to think of Roenthal as that kind of shady, like, duplicitous motherfucker. But I feel like Roenthal is also the kind of guy that, like, he won't admit it, but like, he wants to fight fair or mm-hmm. as fair as he can. You know? Yeah. Like, 
Like I think, like you know, because because look at the way look at Royal's distaste for Lang and Oberstein. Yeah, I think that as long as Lang and Oberstein exist <laughs> as like contrasts for like good, I'll never night- stoop to their level. Right, right. Like I think I think in a weird ways, Oberstein actually exists as like a linchpin that is holding the rest of Reinhardt's admirals to a higher moral standard because he exists sure. as he exists as such a tangible example of how slimy you can be in the Empire, like. Guys like Royenthal who might consider that option if they did if, if Oberstein was there, like right, Royenthal takes one look at Oberstein is like, I'll never be as bad. I'll never sink to his level. Like, <laughs> you know, I might commit treason against Reinhardt someday, but I'll never, yeah, I'll never, I'll never backstab him or something. Yeah, but um, I think it is. A, I think I think it is a worthwhile um um uh thing to speculate about, and I think. I think that again, this is why I love this podcast, and this is why we insist on not watching the next episode previews. That'll all be you, fucking proven wrong in two minutes. Yes, all for all <laughs> in of you the listening, next episode. Like, if our conversation is infuriating you, know that we are working off of zero future knowledge. We are literally testing <laughs> based on the you know to the best of our ability. We have no fucking clue what happens next. Like, not fucking, watching the previews. Yeah, um, like fucking Andrew Ford could fucking bust in through a vent during the peace talks. <laughs> Like knife and gun in hand with a bomb vest on him, God, and yeah. we would have no fucking clue. But you know what? Now that I said that out loud, what if that's what happens? Yeah, you it know? might be. I mean, it's, <laughs> Earth, it's, called, a, it's Earth called subjective. They got what, Andrew what if, Fork in to kill Yang Wen Lee. What if Andrew Fork disrupts the peace talks? <laughs> oh, I shit. believe Andrew Fork hit a bazooka inside of a corpse. Oh man! Oh man! I have one last. I have one last topic I want to discuss before we finish up, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is related to Reinhardt's health. Yeah, we keep saying, "Oh, Reinhardt keeps getting sick because oh, he just he just works too hard. He just cares too much." Uh huh. I'm beginning to suspect like he's been getting things. sick a lot. <laughs> yeah, he's been getting sick pretty often, or at least they've been showing him getting sick pretty often on screen. I'm beginning to wonder: Is Reinhardt actually as healthy as he looks? Right. Does he like, actually have some like chronic condition that? Uh, yes, I was about to say that only Emil von Seckler knows about. Right. Like, what if? And I'm just saying, this is a long shot. <laughs> what if, in like a in, in the greatest turn of irony, just like when um, Rudolph uh, Rudolph's like child like had a had a mental disability, right after enacting his like eugenics laws. Mm-hmm. What if the greatest like irony of Reinhard's rise to rule is like. Oh, actually, he has a like he has a he has a yet to be like yet to be diagnosed like chronic illness, like anime terminal disease. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even joking. Before thirty, right? Like, what if what if what if we find out that actually Reinhardt's gonna be dead by forty? Like, and like, yes, he does overwork himself, but the overworking is just like a it's just exacerbating what is already there, <laughs> right? Like I'm not I'm not going full on like oh Reinhardt's got fucking tuberculosis right but like I'm just saying he's he's getting sick a lot and I think this show constantly mm-hmm. because this is Legend of the Galactic <laughs> Heroes because of what this show is yes I feel like they would not keep showing us scenes of Reinhardt getting sick like this unless this was going to pay off eventually and 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm cra- maybe I'm crazy here. Maybe this is, is all just meant to like say, oh, this is how hard Reinhardt works, and this shows the inherent weakness of an of an, auto- an autocratic government, where like when the head gets sick and when the head is indisposed of, the rest of the body like falls apart, right? Like maybe that's all this there. That's maybe that's all there is to this. But I feel like, look, man, Yang got sick once. And Yang, I guarantee you, is working as hard as Reinhardt. <laughs> I refuse to believe Yang has a better immune system than Reinhardt, considering how the much kind he of drinks. Yeah. Considering the lifestyle Yang has, I feel like he should be getting sick way more often than Reinhardt. Yeah. So I feel like it is all the more striking how often Reinhardt like gets indisposed of because of like right. Like Yang, the last time we saw Yang get sick, he had a cold and was drinking hot hot liquor. Um, yeah, and he was like Reinhardt got sick. He was also unconscious. Yeah, like were they putting like a rebreather on his face at, at the end of that? Yeah, scene? No, it was hooked up to like a vinyls monitor. Not sure. Okay, like a vinyls monitor. My bad. I thought they hooked him up to like a, a an oxygen mask or something. I was like, I was like, oh shit, this might be more serious than it looks. But um, you see, but you see, that's what pushes him to desperately shoot Yang Lee over lunch. <laughs> he's like he's like what right i was just like i only got 20 years to live black black <laughs> you know if he do, if he doesn't kill young willie now when he's got him uh right where he wants him like when will yeah, he ever get the chance well, yeah exactly when will he when will he but um you know i think we'll find out when we watch the next episode yeah so uh you know with that i think we're gonna call this a podcast so uh we're gonna just take care of the housekeeping uh as long as they're getting these days as always, you can read all of our content and listen to this podcast on theglorioblog.com. You can follow us at Twitter at theglorioblog.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Spotify, uh, Podbean, Google Play, all that shit. You know, you know the score. Um, you can watch um, Legend of the Galactic Heroes on High Dive and VRV. Um, if it's uh, if it falls under your interests, maybe check out our other sister podcasts, those being The Glorio Chat, uh, Neon Genesis Evangelio, and Glorio's King of the Kaiju. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, would like that... point, I would like to say that Neon Genesis Evangelio is uh, entering its final episode. Yes, uh, yes. We are coming to a close on that. Um, and uh, we're going to have to find a new podcast to fill that time slot, I guess. I'm, I'm telling you, King of Braves, Gaga Glorio. Not until I finish watching Zeta Gundam, so you know it's a it's a long time coming, and I'm not watching Zeta Gundam until we finish Legend of the Galactic <laughs> Heroes Gaiden. So <sighs> it's gonna be a while. You're you're stuck on this journey across the sea of stars for for a while to come, hero. Oh boy. <laughs> but uh, in all seriousness, as always, uh, thank you all for listening, hero from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> Thank you for accompanying me on this journey. Uh-huh. Thank you for driving the ship for a full year. Yes, it's and and, and hopefully for the many years to come. Oh god. <laughs> and until next time, we will see you amongst the sea of stars. 